Welcome to Spilling the Title Tea, where we talk a lot about life and a little about business. Your host, Ashley Ramsey, will be sitting down with guests from all different sectors of the real estate industry to tell you their real life stories. From hardships to triumphs and business to personal lives, we promise to bring you the tea. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Filling the Title Tea. Today's guest is Jay Tolliver, who is a top producing loan officer with Union Home Mortgage in Carmel, Indiana. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thanks. Happy to be here. So, Jay, being, you know, a top producer loan officer who is closing, you know, a high volume of loans is enough to keep anybody busy. But on top of that, we've had all these, you know, historic highs in the market. And then now we're kind of living some historic lows in the market and a struggling economy. And then on top of that, you have gone through a merger and then also then moved on to another company. So with all of those just things in the mix, how in the world have you kept up with that? How has that affected you in your business and your personal life? Yeah, uh, it's been a lot. Uh, <laughs> no way around that. I am and have never been a loan officer that's made a lot of moves in my career. Uh, if you look back at my NMLS record, a number of the changes there have been mergers. So not a whole lot of moves in 25 years, but sometimes they are necessary. You know, so American Mortgage, I was going on 10 years with them and I went into the merger with Thrive with a lot of optimism. There was a lot of potential there, but, you know, nine, 10 months into it, it just wasn't the place that I could see myself for another 10 years. And I always say, if I can't see myself there for 10 years, I'm not going to be there for 10 more minutes. So I started to have conversations that I hadn't had in 10 years. That was interesting and kind of already had some relationships established with individuals. You know, you kind of have an idea as a mortgage professional that if something changes tomorrow, you've got your short list in your head of where you might go. So I had some idea of the direction and, you know, just got confirmation that Union Home Mortgage was a really good fit. And I've been very pleased thus far with the decision. It's been a great fit for me and a great opportunity for us. You know, there's navigating a market like this is not for a weak stomach. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In 25 years, this is absolutely the hardest mortgage market that I've seen. You know, post-meltdown, financial crisis, we had a huge inventory of homes and, you know, there were plenty of buyers out there, really. I mean, it was just the market was changing and adjusting and getting back in scale. This market, you know, we've got rising interest rates and we've got a very short supply of homes, like a ridiculously low supply of homes. And that problem seems to be getting nothing but worse. I know as a pretty decent sized servicer, Union Home Mortgage has around 100,000 clients in its servicing portfolio. And I mean, they really track their payoff requests. And last Friday, they had nine payoff requests for people that were selling their homes. So that's just indicative. I mean, you know, that's one day, but there is a very small percentage of loans paying off because of sales, obviously far, far fewer even that are because of refinances, you know, that's not a lot of clients won the trade in that 
3% for a seven. So (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Maybe occasionally a cash out refinance for a different situation. So it's a very challenging market. And it was just important to find a place that was positioned, you know, to be strong through a market like this. And I've always seen downturns. And, you know, this was very true of growing my business back after the financial crisis. Those were years that I increased market share and really positioned myself to capitalize on the market when it expanded. And that's exactly what this market should be. It's a huge opportunity. And that's really how I look at every day. And I didn't feel like I was in a place that was focused on positioning themselves to expand in a down market. It felt more like survival. And my philosophy in a market like this is to really capitalize on the opportunity to position ourselves and grow. And when the market takes off, to really benefit from that. And that is the absolute culture that I have at Union Home Mortgage. They want to grow. They want to position themselves right in this market and really capitalize on it later. They're very growth-minded. And that was really, really important to me and really a big piece of what was lacking. Well, having moved, you know, through some different mergers and things like you discussed, culture at the end of the day is everything. Having the like-mindedness and just the same goals and the mindset that your management is on the same page as you, that really, to me, is probably on the top of my personal list as far as what I would look for if I were to change companies or something like that. You know what I mean? It's just the key to making everything run smoothly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know from spending time in Cleveland at Union Homes headquarters for training, you know, and visiting prior to that, sitting down with their CEO, they've had an immense amount of growth the last 20 years. It's just incredible. But I mean, straight from the CEO, you know, he's a guy who wants you to treat the janitor and himself as the CEO the same. You know, it is top down. You respect the people that you work with. They don't have loan officers that are, you know, allowed to be prima donnas screaming and, and treating people poorly. You know, they don't care who you are or what you produce there. That's not going to fly. And I mean, it's a true match to how I believe, you know, you treat everybody right. And just little things like that, you do right by people and it just makes a big difference. So there's a lot of weight behind what they say there with their core values. You can see that they really live those core values and structure things in the company to support those core values. That's amazing. It really is because you definitely don't get that everywhere you go. Yeah. On top of all these changes and trying to learn all the new products and the way that the new systems work, you also have a home life. You have a wife at home. You have twins at home, which, you know, just adds to all of the chaos and craziness that you have going on every day. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your family? So, I mean, just becoming a parent was kind of a journey for us. Um, You know, we were married in 2009 and spent several years trying to get pregnant with a lot of intervention. We went through eight rounds of IVF. In between number seven and eight, there was the potential to adopt a child, and that didn't work out. The girl ended up keeping the baby. And so, you know, when it came down to it, number eight worked, and 
you know, we had our two little miracles, Brandon and Ruby. And once those kids are in your hands, you kind of forget how much work it really took you to get there. But that process, I think, made us stronger, made our faith stronger. So, you know, God knows what he's doing. He absolutely does. How many years did that journey take, Jay? Well, we got married in 09 and pretty much started right away. So I married a beautiful woman who is nine years my senior. So she was 39 when we got married and clock was ticking. So you had to hit the ground running. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We wanted a family right away. And so she actually had some transition going on with her job. And so we were going to kind of align that transition was happening when we were going to start our first round of IVF. So we made the decision that, you know, hey, go ahead and stay home now, you know, because we're going to have kids. We're doing IVF. We're going to have kids. So that was, I mean, pretty much in probably 2010. And in 2014, we finally had the kids. So it was a little while. She was at home that entire time. My life is really what changed when the kids came along because, you know, she was at home, but we didn't have kids yet. And it is a lot to go through IBS and all these things. But she was carrying a lot of weight of the home life. And, you know, really, I didn't appreciate at the time how easy my life was to just focus on work, you know, during that time. But when the kids came along, you know, we had to kind of redistribute the uh, responsibilities. But yeah, it was a process. You know, we worked with doctors locally and, you know, for a while we did a few procedures with a doctor in St. Louis. So we would travel for a little while, stay extended, stay hotel while that was all going on, you know, come back home. But he was pretty renowned specialist in his field. We woke up one morning and the Today Show was following a couple doing IVF and there was our doctor, Dr. Silver. So we worked with, you know, some pretty talented people and you know, I just ended up working out here at home locally with some doctors, came back to a clinic here. That's amazing. So that was the start in the process. And it all took a lot of faith. I mean, you know, every time an IVF would fail, you know, it was kind of reevaluating like what next and, you know, God would kind of provide or open a door and felt like we were being led, you know, in that direction. You know, financially, there was a lot involved there. You know, some people get to start saving for college for their kids, even before the kids come along. And, you know, we were basically tasked with paying for a Harvard education before the kids came along. <laughs> so, right. I mean, a lot of people, especially if you haven't been through that, don't realize how expensive it is to have those sorts of treatments done. But there was, you know, God was always providing in different ways. So, you know, we got through it. So then we had our family in 2014. We had these beautiful twins, boy girl twins, Ren and Ruby. And, you know, all was good. And, it's difficult with twins. I talk to so many people that are like, oh, I always wanted twins. And it's like, no, you don't. You don't. Just have them <laughs> one at a time. <laughs> it really is kind of a terrible way to have children. But, you know, it's the pregnancy was difficult. Catherine's, who is like the biggest busybody in the world, spent like, it was two or three months on bed rest. I can't even remember now. And she did it. I couldn't believe she was even able to do it because I just thought she could never possibly stay still for that long. Well, it was important to her. It was paramountly important absolutely so she did it and you know we got there so you know then there's the process of like okay we have twins now and you're taking care of two kids and you know it was funny she spent all that time on bed rest like reading these books like how to align their schedules and all this so that it makes seedings easier and stuff that is 
It's just don't even waste your time reading those books because the kids are going to be what the kids are going to be. You know, it's funny because, you know, I feel like twins are like, doesn't matter that they're twins. They share this whole womb experience and all that. They're their own person, their own personalities. And they are like yay and yay. Their personalities are complete opposites. And they have been since day one. You know, so life was good. We were getting through the experience that, you know, we were so thankful to have our babies. And, you know, then we got kind of dealt our next challenge in 2019. So the beginning of that year, January, February, we kind of noticed at the same time the preschool had noticed that Ren was starting to hold things to the side of his eye to do things like color match. Like, you know, if you're color matching these colored pencils, you know, pick out the two red ones and he would hold things up to the side of his eye. And that was kind of a new development. There had been some concerns about his vision. He was wearing glasses, but there wasn't any you know, issue with it seeming to be a loss of central vision. So that was kind of a new, like sudden development. And so we got in with specialists and went through that process. And, you know, I mean, just every step of it is so maddening. Like I remember Catherine trying to make an appointment for an ophthalmologist and there was like this person who was, you know, answering the phones would make an appointment for us because we didn't have a diagnosis, but the point of the appointment was to get a diagnosis. It's just, you know, there's so many roadblocks in healthcare. And especially when it's your kid, like it just gets really frustrating. So, you know, we ran into just weird stuff like that, but we ended up getting him in and he was diagnosed with retinal dystrophy, meaning his rod and cone cells in his eyes were not healthy and he was losing his central vision. He was going blind. And very very scary, very scary. So, you know, you immediately just start researching, like, what could be behind this? Because they basically said, you know, we need to do uh, a genetic test to find out what genetic issue is behind this. And, you know, then know what we're dealing. And so, you know, you read a little bit about all this, uh, what it could be. And, you know, you try to kind of self-diagnose it to know what to expect. And, there were some things on the periphery that were like, you know, much more serious diseases uh, neurologically that, you know, there are all these other symptoms like not being able to talk and walk and stuff like that. And so, you know, we pretty much rule all those out. We were dealing with just a vision issue, you know, because he didn't have any other stuff going on. So it took like until July 1st. So we got the genetic test submitted, I think, in like probably February or March. And then July 1st of 2019, we got a call that the genetic issue behind Brandon's vision loss was something called Batten disease. And that was one of those diseases that was a lot more serious from a neurological standpoint. It's a degenerative disease. So the first thing you do is you go to Google and you're like, what is Batten disease? And yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, that's not a common ailment that you hear no, a lot about. No, it's very rare, thankfully. But so, you, you know, you go to Google because, I mean, really, we got a phone call and it was like, this is what it is. It's a phone call from a geneticist and there really wasn't much information provided other than that, like other than, you know, hey, you guys need to make a follow-up appointment with a neurologist. So you go to Google and basically says the Batten disease is a degenerative neurological disease that results in death in the late teens and early 20s and there's no treatment, no cure. So it's devastating. More than devastating. I'm not even sure how you process something like that. Yeah, I mean, it was a tough couple days after that. But, you know, Wikipedia, Google, they don't present you with any hope. But, you know, that's where our faith steps in. You know, so we started a whole new journey with our children and relying on faith. 
And that's what it's been ever since. So, you know, batten disease is a very cruel disease for a child. So he started losing his vision at about four and a half and pretty much completely blind. He's completely blind now. And it was by about age six. And the process of going through that for him, very high levels of frustration, as you can imagine, because it would kind of change and then like plateau for a while. And then all of a sudden you would start to lose more vision and you could tell when that would happen because for a while, like he still had his peripheral vision. And so like he would do things like he played baseball and he was awesome at it and loved it, but he only had his peripheral vision. And he had one season of playing T-ball. That is a great memory for us. But he had his that peripheral vision. So he would turn his head to the side as he ran down the baselines and stuff. And, you know, it was a process, you know, and then it's completely gone now. So when that all happened, we had a friend that got word in the school system, mentioned to somebody what was going on. And the school system reached out to us. They wanted to bring him into their preschool so that they could start to teach her in Braille. So they made a spot for Ruby too. So we got both of them into the preschool at their elementary school, which is just down the road from us. And I mean, they were awesome. They've been awesome with Ren. They've got a low vision and blindness teacher that comes around at the schools and spends time with them. And Ren is a super smart, articulate kid that blows everyone away that's around him. He is insanely good with reading and writing, and he's learned to do it all in Braille. He had to relearn all of his letters. And, you know, Batten disease is very cruel in that as the child's learning, their brain basically is slowly dying. It's dementia, but in a child. And so as he learns, he will also lose. And that's kind of a weird process to go through. And it's very frustrating for him. But he's still, I mean, one of his favorite activities at home is to write on his Braille. He's got this old, it's like a typewriter type machine, but it types Braille. And he just goes and wants to practice all of his words and write sentences and write stories. And he just loves it. That's you know, one of the things that he enjoys most. And I think a lot of that is he's embattled with holding on to what he knows. You know, he wants to be competent. And right. uh, it's just growing struggle for him. He seems but he's so resilient. Yeah. I mean, he really is. It's difficult because that dementia piece of it, you know, it's if anyone has any experience with a loved one who's got dementia, you know, there are these episodes and really high emotions and aggression. And as Ren is a growing boy, I mean, gosh, over a year ago, he was strong enough to pick up my wife off the floor. You know, she's kind of a small thing and he's a big boy and getting bigger. He's eight and a half years old now. But I mean, for a while, he's been able to lift her off of the floor. It kind of been a fit of rage and it's scary because she doesn't want to fall on him and hurt him. She doesn't want to get hurt. It's a very tumultuous situation. And what my wife deals with while I'm here at work is a lot harder than anything that I deal with. It really helps put things in perspective, you know, because you think going through real estate transactions, you run into issues and problems and sometimes emotions get high. But I've just got a very different perspective now on all that because it doesn't matter. You know, it's just all these things that people get upset about and frustrated and, you know, agents want to fight with each other, or, you know, buyers and sellers get argumentative. At the end of the day, it just isn't that big of a deal. Absolutely. Not in comparison to something like this and, you know, the everyday reality that you go home to and that Catherine is there daily. I mean, that is her all day, every day trying to manage all of these different things of trying to be a caregiver, but also 
managing things that are completely out of her control. Yep. Like I said, I mean, she's got the harder end of the deal in the thick of that every day. And we went through the process of getting a Medicaid waiver, which we started that process and submitted everything right as COVID hit. So it took a really long time for that to ever happen. And then once we got it, it's been super hard to find anybody to take that job. You know, they'll pay them 15 bucks an hour to come in and hang out with a blind child who's a really awesome kid that there's this thing called restraint collapse. So he holds himself together really well at school. And for caretakers that come in, there's kind of that novelty effect. And so they don't get what mom gets as far as the aggression and stuff like that. Like there's some level of control there to some degree because when he comes home from school, you know, there was a lot of issues with restraint collapse, which is where he comes in the door and he, now he's in a safe place and he just loses it. You know, he's very aggressive and yelling and trying to hit mom and stuff like that. So, you know, it's for a caregiver to come in. It's not really that bad of a gig, but because of, I guess, the you know low rate of unemployment, certain jobs are hard to fill. And so we've got this waiver and we've got access to these services. But when we call the agencies that run these things, they're like, you need to bring someone to us because we don't have anybody to come work for you. You know, bring us someone that you know that wants to do it. And we'll put them through our training and, you know, then they can come work for you. So we've kind of had to find our own people and there's been a lot of turnover and we've been without any help now for, I don't even know how many months. It's been quite a while. That really blows my mind that there is not a better system for families like yours. Yeah. So, I mean, we try to use, we got, you know, so many credits or hours or whatever within that program. And so, you know, we try to find other ways, you know, different therapies, but a lot of it's like, you know, we have to take him out to certain things. Rather than people come in, we do have some other services that come in to spend time. But, you know, it's someone basically coming in to spend an hour with Ren to do music therapy or something. But that's an hour that if Ren's tied up with someone giving him attention, that's an hour that my wife can spend with Ruby. Or, you know, it's a time that she can get a meal prepared. So we'll take what we can get is kind of where we're at in life. And Ruby's a huge concern in all this because, you know, there's all this behavior from her brother and... You know, sometimes she's the target of his aggression and we've got to do a lot to protect Ruby. And that is a difficult environment to grow up in. You know, I don't know all of what the impact is going to be for her. And she doesn't have a full understanding of what Batten disease is. You know, she just knows that, you know, Rin's brain works a little differently because he has Batten disease and he does some of these things because of that, you know, but it's difficult because, you know, to some degree, there's a different set of rules for Rin than there are Ruby, and she likes to test those boundaries, and that's all to be expected. But making sure that she has the love and attention that she needs is something that we're, you know, constantly being mindful of because he can be super demanding. Like the world revolves around Rin, and when he wants something, he wants it now. I really just can't imagine from Ruby's perspective. You know, because you're watching not just your sibling, this is your twin. And, you know, there's a little bit more of a dynamic there than just a normal brother that you're having to kind of watch go through all of this. And it has to be, you know, straining on not just your time and your emotions, but, you know, just everything about how you function as a family. It's a strain. And for her to be, you know, the same age, she's just young and trying to maneuver through this and understand what's happening to her brother and understand how mom and dad are handling things. I mean, 
I, I just can't imagine how her little mind can wrap around that and do as well as she does. Yeah. I mean, she's a very resilient girl. You know, she is incredible in her very own way. She has a great heart. And, you know, sometimes she can be really sweet with Ren. And other times, I mean, they're siblings, right? She's just like over it. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, well, you know, I can't blame you, kid. <laughs> So, you know, we try to be supportive in her doing her own thing. She's got her horseback riding lessons and different things that she's into. And we try to, you know, make sure that she has some of that time to, you know, have her own experiences and, you know, be independent. She definitely wants to be an independent kid. Like she's very much of that mindset. But that's, you know, another one of our constant things that are on our mind, you know, when you're trying to balance is we've got to be mindful of Ruby. I just don't know how you do it, Jay. I don't know how you manage everything at work. I mean, it takes a lot to be a top producing loan officer. You know, you're not just closing one loan a month and then to deal with all of that at home. I'm not really sure how you manage to maintain a good balance there. Yeah. So work-life balance to me, you know, the way that I see it, I consider it kind of a myth. I think the mindset that I have is work-life integration because they are so intertwined. You know, we work in a business that there's really not set hours for a lot of what happens, but you know, you can have boundaries as much as possible. But I mean, the market that we're in 2020, 21, low inventory, insane demand. I mean, you know, there were just so many things coming at you constantly. Everything was an emergency. I've been in this business for 25 years. Everything's an emergency pretty much all the time. But especially since, you know, probably 2013, it was more seasonal back then. And it started as we moved on, the inventory issue got more serious and it kind of pushed out the whole seasonality of the low inventory and the housing demand. But really back to then and like the spring, summer of 2013, it's been, you know, like, hey, go look at a house in the first 24 hours and it's listed or you're not even, you know, be able to make an offer on it because it'll be sold. So, you know, in 2020, 21, that definitely got to be a year round thing where there was no seasons to that. But we're in an extremely low inventory market right now. You know, where I am locally in central Indiana, I'm in a great real estate market here, a very nice community. I was lucky enough to grow up here and just stayed home and, you know, got into the mortgage business when I was in college and worked it through college and stuck with it and kind of raising my family in the community that I was raised in. Because it was a great place to stay to do what I do. But there's just so much demand on us all the time that you just have to meet the demand and prioritize things. And, you know, there are times where I get the, you know, little side look from the wife because I'm doing a text or an email or taking a phone call. She understands at the end of the day, I want to be there. I want to be as supportive as I can. And, you know, I'm very involved where I can be. But, you know, it's more of an integration thing than a balance thing because there are so many emergencies and urgencies. And, you know, some of it is a lack of preparedness. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I come in on a Monday and, you know, a realtor reaches out to me. He's like, hey, I met Bob and Susie this weekend at an open house. They're going to give you a call. And that's on Monday, Friday at 430. Bob and Susie are reaching out to me to get pre-qualified because they want to go look at houses on Saturday morning, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I remember hearing about you on Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we take our clients' level of preparedness and we deal with it. You know, we kind of take their problems and we make them ours. And that's just part of what you do. You know, it's not a perfect world. And they don't understand, like, how much 
better they could have done that, you know, but it is what it is. So, you know, you make time for it. And I have really great people around me. You know, I've got Debbie Cook who assists me and, you know, she keeps threatening to retire and I won't let her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hold on to her as long as you can. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, but I've got really good people around me and that's what makes a lot of the difference and, you know, it can make you a lot more productive. And I will say You Need Home Mortgage has a great mobile app. I'm able to, you know, get rate quotes from my phone, stuff like that. And I've got a lot of peers that really can't effectively do that. They've got to be in front of their computer, you know, we'll kind of text around in a small group to see where pricing's at, you know, in comparison, someone wants to make sure they're still in the market. And, you know, several of them are like, well, I'm not on my computer right now. I'll have to get back later. And like, I'll just send a screenshot of my pricing from, from my mobile app and be like, yeah, I just did it from my phone, you know, running an errand. So kind of rub it in their face a little bit. They don't have that touch. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there are some things there that have helped for sure. And I mean, any win that you can pick up in the category of productivity is pretty huge, really for any loan officer, but definitely someone who's got a family, you know, things that are tugging at them other than just their daily job. Yeah, I think, you know, technology can be a wonderful thing when it works like it's supposed to work anyway. Yes. Yeah. And I love the work-life integration. I had never heard of that. You need to coin that term because I think that really does explain it so much better in this industry, especially because you do have to be, you know, available at the drop of a hat. And I think that's a really good way and a really positive way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't pick a career that I clock out at five o'clock or whatever, you know, and go home and don't worry about, you know, what I have to do at work until the next day. And not to say that other people don't think about it, but, you know, we work in an industry that requires our engagement in a right. chaotic schedule. There really is, you know, Debbie and I joke around all the time that we have a flexible schedule, which means that we're free to work all the time. I love that because that really is true of this industry. But, you know, it also enables me to, you know, be there for certain things for the kids and stuff that I can kind of make up for it later and catch up on things, you know, so there is some flexibility with it, but there is a lot of demand if you want to, you know, run a successful business in the mortgage industry and real estate. It's very demanding. Yeah, it is. And especially when you have, like I said, demands at home on top of that, it's a little bit of a challenge to balance or integrate, as you say. But I can certainly say from my experience, having worked with you over the years, that you handle it marvelously. Oh, thank you. Well, Jay, I just want to thank you so much for taking time today. As we've talked about how crazy your schedule is, and you've really blocked out some time today to be on the show and share your story with all of our listeners. And I'm just extremely grateful for that. Everybody, we're going to put... Jay's information in the description of the podcast. So if you are in Indiana, especially in the Carmel area, and you need, you know, a very qualified loan officer who really knows the ins and outs of the business and all of the different aspects of the different loan products, Jay is your guy and his information will be available for you to reach out to him. We're also going to put information in the description about Batten disease so that you can learn more about it. You can learn how to raise awareness for it and even hopefully be able to donate to some of the causes that are helping find more effective treatments and God willing, a cure one day for children like Wren. Absolutely. I appreciate that. If anyone wants to follow Wren's story, we've got a Facebook page for him, Victory for Wren. It's R-E-N on Facebook. So we try to post there and we are a family of faith. We believe that 
you know, Ren can be healed and cured of this disease and that his story is not going to end as tragically as what we see Batten disease children ending in today. There is a clinical trial that's been on hold for several years. We are praying that that reopens. But whether that's the path that God has for Ren's miracle or it's a different path or a different kind of miracle, we're trusting in him and putting it in his hands every day. Absolutely. And I know that there is an absolute huge community of people around you guys that believe the absolute same, that stand behind you and close the gap on the days that you're a little weak and lift you guys up in prayer and know in their heart of hearts that that victory is on its way. We appreciate the prayers. Keep them coming, Ashley. Always. Not a day goes by that you guys are not in my prayers. Thank you for having me on the show and allowing me to share a little bit about our story. And, you know, I think that people, you know, see the professional effort side that we show and may know little pieces of what's going on behind, but not really a much more than just a glimpse of, you know, what is being juggled from day to day. And I'm certainly not the only person out there dealing with things like this. So there are a lot of us and, you know, give us grace and support our businesses because we need it. Absolutely. Amen. That's so true. Well, like I said, Jay, thank you so much for taking the time. And everyone, thank you so much for joining in and listening to another episode of Spilling the Title Tea, where we talk a little bit about business and a lot about life. That's all the tea we have for you this week. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode of Spilling the Title Tea and visit us online for more valuable resources at springdaletitle.com.